I think this uh, vote uh, is, uh, should not go on because I think the Congress should have taken this decision because it's too complicated for, for the people to choose. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum and I'm happy to announce that sitting across from me in the studio today, we have a special guest host, our intern here at Planet Money, Baldur Hedens. Nice to be here. Today is Friday, April 15th. And the person you heard at the top was... G- Can you do it? Guðmundur Gunnarsson. Also known as Björk's dad. Baldur, you and I are just back from your homeland, Iceland, where the entire country had to make a very unusual and critical economic decision. In fact, everyone got to vote. Yeah, and we got to talk to some very important people. Not just Björkstad, <laughs> even the president, the president of Iceland. He had a very nice house. But first, the Planet Money Indicator from Jacob Goldstein. David, let me just tell you this right up front. I have two indicators for you today. The first Planet Money Indicator, 2.7%. The second Planet Money Indicator, 1.2%. Now, let me drop the bomb on you. Those are both <laughs> U.S. inflation over the past year. Crazy. Crazy. So the first one, 2.7%. That is what we think of typically when we think of inflation. It's how much U.S. prices rose over the past year for a typical person. Uh, This is called headline inflation. And 2.7%, that's a pretty moderate normal level of inflation. The second indicator, remember, 1.2%. That is how much U.S. prices rose if you do not count food and energy. It's called the core inflation rate. And 1.2% is actually pretty low for core inflation. Jacob, I got to say, I'm actually personally uh, really a fan of that second one of core inflation because food and energy prices, they have this crazy up and down swings. You know, you have something goes wrong in the Middle East and oil prices go through the roof and then boom, it looks like you have all this inflation. You know, core inflation, like to the physicist in me, that's the one I want to look at, right? It's smoother. It's sort of like a... It's like a thermometer on the forehead of the economy, right? (laughs) I mean, that's the Federal Reserve, right, is full of people whose job it is to keep inflation in check. And the thing they look at is core inflation. Uh, That's true. And and the Fed says core inflation is actually a better predictor of what inflation is going to be in the next few months. And that's really important. But there's a really big but right now, right? Because right now, with the way things are today, it creates this big tension because, you know, core inflation, it may be a steady thermometer like you say, and it's quite low right now, right? But on the other hand, headline inflation, that's based on what people are actually spending every day. And in fact, you know, gas prices are much higher than they were a year ago. So as a result, headline inflation is way higher than core inflation. So people keep hearing the Fed saying, oh, inflation's low, we're going to keep our policies in place, everything is fine. And it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound right. And if oil prices keep going up, we can expect this tension to just keep increasing. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, on to Iceland. For those of you not following the local news in Iceland, the island has been going through a bit of a rough period since the financial crisis. Iceland was once known for fishing, but it became an international banking center. And then the banks failed. What we're hearing here are people protesting in Iceland. People gathered outside of the Icelandic parliament, Althingi, 
they threw skier, an Icelandic kind of yogurt, <laughs> and balls of snow at, at government officials. And what's the banging? Or pots or something? Pots and pans, right? Yeah, people, people banged pots and pans. It was known as the kitchen revolution. People were furious at the bankers, at politicians, at the whole system. That, of course, was the case all over the world. You know, people get upset at the government, especially for using taxpayer money for bank bailouts. And the typical response from government has been, trust us. You know, this is the right thing to do. We have to do this. You would do the same thing if you were in our shoes. And usually that's where the discussion ends, except in Iceland. Yeah. So last weekend, we, the people of Iceland, we were in the shoes of the government. We got to be the decision makers. We voted on what to do. The economic future of your country was put into the hands of farmers, fishermen, and Bjork. So today, the story of how that very strange vote came to be and how it came out, it is one of the oddest stories we've encountered in this entire global financial crisis. And it begins with one bank. How do you, how do you say the name? Landsbanki. Landsbanki. That was the building downtown, right, that everyone was throwing eggs at that night when we were out? That's the one. Okay. So back in 2008, everything is going great. Landsbanki even opened up savings accounts abroad. They were called iSave accounts. They offered very high interest rates. And a lot of people in the UK and the Netherlands, they put their money into these accounts. In fact, hundreds of thousands of people. That's more people than in Iceland, the whole country. <laughs> and that became a problem because in 2008, Landsbanki failed. And those people overseas, all of a sudden, they could not get their money out. So my government took the bank over and said to the deposit holders in Iceland, don't worry, your money is safe. But that still left the depositors overseas which resulted in this really awkward phone call between the finance ministers of the UK and of your country, Iceland. And you have to remember, this is the, the height of the financial crisis. Lehman Brothers has just failed, and everyone's worried that the financial machinery of the world is going to seize up. So amazingly, we have a transcript of this conversation. Basically, Alistair Darling, the British financial minister, they call him the chancellor of the exchequer, he says to your financial minister, uh, what about the depositors in our country? And my finance minister says, uh, we are in a very, very difficult situation. So there is an Icelandic insurance fund for deposits, sort of like the FDIC. But it's clear that is not going to be enough money. And Alistair Darling says, well, that is a terrible position to be in. And then Alistair Darling goes on TV and he makes a big announcement. I spoke to the Icelandic uh, finance minister yesterday and he told me there's no money available in their compensation scheme which people would normally look to. Now, I can't have a situation like that, so I'm going to make it clear in the House of Commons later today uh, that we will stand behind the depositors, the savers in ICESAVE to make sure that they get their money back. I wouldn't normally do this because this is a branch of a foreign bank, but these are exceptional times. Uh, and you know, it really is quite extraordinary when you get a country like Iceland, which is basically defaulting on its obligations. Mm. Now, we're going to pursue them uh, you know, with you know, vigor. Over the last two and a half years, your government, Balder, and the British and Dutch have been negotiating. And they actually reached a deal for Iceland to repay some of the money. There, an agreement. The end. It was not the end. It was the beginning. It was the beginning. In Iceland, everything needs to be signed by the president. And when you say president, right, you don't think like Barack Obama, right? Don't think Barack Obama. Think more Queen of England. Like dignitaries come to town and he like has them over for dinner at his fancy house. A figurehead. 
and usually he just stays out of politics. So when a bill comes before him, he usually just signs it. But this time, people are really upset, and they stand outside his house with uh, flares. You say they're with used on boats. Red light flares that they use on the ships. Like when a ship is in uh, in an emergency, they have these these very bright red flares. All right. So they have these like SOS flares. They're there outside his house. So they stand outside with these flares, and a quarter of the electorate sign a petition saying they're upset with this. So the president does something that's only happened once in the entire history of the country, he vetoes the bill. He vetoes this agreement that would have Iceland give some money back to the Dutch and British governments. And vetoing is a big deal. I remember when I was in high school, we were discussing, does the president really have this power? Does he really have the veto power? It had never been used before, and people were really uncertain. Is it really a power that he has? Yeah, apparently he does have it. And when the president vetoes something... The question then goes to the people for a national referendum. So in 2010, they had a big vote, and the people voted, no, we are not giving any money to the Brits and the Dutch. Then a new deal was negotiated. The president again vetoed it, setting up one more vote. And that brings us to our trip. Welcome, Nish. Good David. Hi. 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 Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. (laughs) We're at the house of Hedda. Hedda. How do you say it? Hedda. Dora Jonsdóttir. Hilda Dora Jonsdóttir. Yeah. <laughs> She's a new mom. <laughs> it's two days now before she and everyone else here is going to have to go to the polls. And like a lot of people, she is completely undecided. Potentially, there is a lot of money at stake. If she votes yes, she and you and everyone else in Iceland could be on the hook for a couple billion dollars, which if you do the math, it works out to $6,000 a person. So that's 6000 for her, 6000 for her boyfriend, 6000 for Oscar, her little boy. Or it could be a lot less. We just don't know. So we told her on the phone, don't worry, Planet Money is coming to your rescue. We are going to help you decide. We will set up interviews with whoever you want, top experts from around the world. And Heather's families and families around Iceland are completely divided on this issue. Her grandfather came by, and he's this real old-school character. He's a carpenter. He lives out on the countryside. He has horses. And we have this expression in Iceland. It goes, man timana tvenna. And it basically means that he's, he's the kind of guy who's he's been around so long that he's seen everything twice. <laughs> and Heather said that when game shows are on TV, he always knows all the answers. And his answer to the ice save question is very clear. Vote no. Say no. <laughs> but I know her father will say yes. So. <laughs> and what do you think about that? Why do you think he's saying yes? Oh, you know? he is, as you know, stupid. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> he says he likes the British fine, if you forget about the Cod Wars of the 1950s and the 1970s. But he says there is no way he is sending them any money for this. Uh, this is not the legal... Uh, Uh, Obligation, and uh, therefore I don't think we should pay. Pay for a private-owned bank? No way. The emotional logic here is pretty hard to escape. He's saying, why should the citizens of Iceland pay for the mistakes of some bankers? But there's another claim he's making there, which is that there's no legal obligation to pay. And that turns out to be a tricky question. So we set up an interview with a lawyer. His name? Stefan Maur Stefansson, who's a big shot in Iceland, a very respected lawyer. And when we get to his office, there is a huge book on the shelf about European law. It turns out he wrote it. How many pages is your book? <laughs> 1200. So we talk for an hour about the details of international law. And the legal question comes down to this. 
Iceland bailed out its own depositors. So is it discrimination under the law not to bail out foreign depositors? Stefan is one of the guys who might be helping argue this case in the international courts. And he says after much careful consideration, he thinks Iceland is not required to pay the money. I would say in my view, it is 60-70% uh, chances that we would win the case. But there are other prominent lawyers who say the opposite. So, once again, I cannot exclude that I am wrong. I am yeah, very used to that I am wrong. <laughs> but, but if you win the case, you pay nothing, right? Right. If you lose, though, he says, they're going to renegotiate the deal and you could get a worse financial settlement. So legally here, there is no clear answer. But there are other ways to try to decide how to vote. There are economic stakes to this vote. Hida, it turns out, studied economics in college, and she knows just the person to talk to, a former professor of hers. Okay, we're, we're going to meet Gilvi Soeka. He's a, he's a brilliant man. We hope. <laughs> oh, well, uh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, actually. Um, when we meet him, Gilvi looks very, very weary. The trash can in his office is filled with Coke cans and plastic cups that used to hold vegetable juice that you get in the cafeteria here. The ice save debate has been very tough on him. I'm actually planning to emigrate to get away from this issue. You know, the, <laughs> there's a job at Columbia I'm, I'm thinking about applying for. Gilve gives the opposite advice of Hida's grandfather, who didn't want to pay the money. He says, we have to. Look at our country. Our economy has shrunk. Unemployment has skyrocketed. Our currency lost half its value. It's very difficult for a small country like this to have an economic recovery if you are at war with your neighboring countries at the same time. It's difficult. I've been kind of looking at it more just from what I think is ethical and stuff like that because I think the one of the strongest arguments is the, of course, the ethics argument. I mean... But the ethics doesn't bring you anywhere because in a financial crisis, you know, there's nothing is fair. Yeah. Like, it's not fair that people who just bought shares at the age of 65 were wiped out. It's not fair that someone who's 35 and bought his first house and has had his, his loan double. Huh? Yeah. It's not fair. It's not fair that we pay for these bankers' adventures to the extent we're doing that. It's not fair that the foreign dep depositors trust the bank and put their money in and wiped out and you just walk away. Nothing is fair. And he says the way we were living during the bubble, that wasn't fair either. Wasn't fair the other way. Bankers benefited, but everybody benefited because people trusted Iceland too much. They trusted the banks too much. They trusted the currency too much. They valued the currency too highly. And during the bubble, when Iceland was, was really riding high, everything was cheap. You could get land cruisers, flat screen TVs, computers, you name it. It was all very, very cheap. And Heida remembers that time. Going abroad, you could tell almost wherever you went that a little bit of your own currency could get uh, quite quite a lot. Where, where did you go? Various places, you know, the United States, for instance, and Ireland. So that's a kind of historic argument for why it makes sense to vote yes. There's also an economic argument looking forward for why to vote yes. Yeah, if we vote no and do not pay the British and Dutch back, the rest of the world might stop trusting us. They might consider us deadbeats. Yeah, and you know what you do to deadbeats, right? You loan the money, but sort of reluctantly, and you charge them really high interest rates. In, in economic speak, this question comes down to how will the global debt markets react? 
So we called the global debt market. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. You too. Hedda um, is on the phone with Jonathan Lemko at Vanguard, which is based an ocean away in Pennsylvania. Vanguard manages funds with hundreds of billions of dollars of bonds in them. It's the kind of place that might lend Iceland money. Hedda asks, what happens if we vote no? That would make investors like us very nervous. Yeah. And we can pick and choose all over the world to invest. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have to invest in an Iceland. I looked at sort of the structure of your economy. It tends mm-hmm. to be three aluminum smelters. It tends <laughs> to be as well the fishing industry, maybe a little tourism, not so much else. You need to much more broadly diversify industry. And the way to do that is to encourage new investment. But the failure of a referendum is mm-hmm. one more step on the way to saying for inv- many in the market, mm-hmm. we're not going to put new money into this. <sighs> <laughs> I wish I could be more uplifting. I know it's unpleasant. It sounds <laughs> cruel. It's just the market just wants to get repaid. So you might think at least the economic case is pretty clear. But right down the hall from that first economist we talked to at the university, we found another economist who was urging just the opposite. Try saying it. Arsal Valfels. That's what I said, man. Anyway, he tells Heda, vote no. Don't worry about that bond guy you just talked to. That's a very typical comment from a bond guy. My experience from working within the financial markets and so on is that greed does not have a memory. In other words, if bond guys can make money lending to us in Iceland, they will. Okay, so just to recap, legally, no clear answer. Economically, we got people on both sides. As a last resort... We have to go back to that murky thing Hida mentioned earlier, ethics. There were, of course, real people in the UK and the Netherlands who put money into an Icelandic bank, thinking it was going to be safe. And Hida wonders, if she votes no, is she hurting them? So we made another call across the ocean to England to someone who had money in one of these high-interest savings accounts. His name is Clayton Nash. You know, when, when, I, when I opened the account, everyone was there was no problems at all. It was a year and a half beforehand. You know, I'd never looked at a bank guarantee in my life. I'd never thought about a bank disappearing. Mm. So um, I didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you would think that you would have to get, like, a document where you read it over and you would sign that you know <laughs> know about the risks. <laughs> I mean... Well, of course, of course you do. But, um, I mean, do you read every single line in those documents? No. You, know, you, you should look at the interest rate and how you can get your money out and... Uh, a bank guarantee just seemed like the uh, the furthest thing you'd have to worry about. Clayton had a bunch of money in that account. About £43,000. Okay, that's a lot. Did you get all your money back? I did, yes. Okay, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great for me, yeah. Who gave Clayton his money back? The British government. When the Icelandic bank failed, the British government stepped in and gave the depositors their money back. The Dutch government did the same thing in the Netherlands. And this makes the decision so hard. I feel for Clayton. I I want to give him his money back, but I I don't care so much about the big British government. (laughs) Clayton has already been helped. So if you vote yes, it doesn't feel like you're helping him, right, a person in England. Really, a yes vote means your little nation would be repaying the gigantic British and Dutch governments. And just for comparison, the population of the UK is 200 times larger than the population of Iceland. Has there been a lot of media coverage, have you noticed, in in England over this? Not at all. No, very little. 
Okay. Um, in fact, I only found out about the, the, the referendum because David mentioned it. So. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's quite surprising to me. Because here it's all anyone has been talking oh about forever. I mean, everywhere you go, people are I imagine, yeah. discussing interest rates. In yeah, I, I can imagine that it's huge over there. But you know, from on the other hand, it's only about four billion pounds or something they're really talking about, yeah. which is real money, but it's not serious in the scheme of things in the UK. Hedda hangs up feeling conflicted. I can definitely see both sides, and that's what's difficult, and that's why, for me, it's... Um, I, I change my mind every 10 minutes, almost. Heda has something like 24 hours left to decide. At this point, we've spent two days researching this complicated, tangled question. And now we are sitting around her kitchen table. And, Baldur, both you and Heda are wondering now whether putting this question to the people was really such a great idea. I mean, my job is, has been to prepare for this trip. And yeah. uh, I, I don't feel 100% prepared for the vote. But still, I've been spending hours every day reading about it and trying to figure it out. Does it feel strange to just be to be having to vote on something like this? Yeah, a lot of the a lot of Icelandic people are, are um, well educated and and uh, you know feel obliged to to know what they're voting voting on and and I mean this is an important important decision. But then you also have to look at, I mean, people have their own lives and they have a job which they're getting paid for and people are doing it maybe in whatever spare time they have. You know, when you've finished everything you have to do, maybe in the nighttime when you're supposed to be sleeping, you're reading something about this. And the president, of course, asked us to do this, but he's not paying us to do it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in many ways it would it would would have been better to uh, get somebody who's a professional. <laughs> but you, Balder and Heda, you don't have a choice. The economy is in your hands at this point. The next day, Heda and her boyfriend Gisli, with their baby in a big stroller, they go to the polling place. Yeah, so that's where the voting voting is taking place. I've got my pen. I'm ready. Hida walks into the voting booth, pulls the curtain closed. I watch with her boyfriend from a distance. You can kind of see her, uh, you can see she's marking it now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think she hasn't decided yet. <laughs> her hand is moving back and forth. Hida emerges from the booth. So how did you vote? <sighs> I said no. And then I went to my voting place, and I canceled out Hida's vote. <laughs> I voted yes. It, it just didn't seem right to me to say no. I think the grounds that we stand on after having uh, guaranteed everything in this country, and if, if anything, it's, it's saying that don't trust foreigners. Like we, we guarantee our own people and we screw foreigners. And in the second place, it's going to say don't trust Icelanders, which I think is, is even worse. I think it sends a really bad signal. Heda said she voted no because she thinks this should go to the international courts. In other words, she voted to take it back out of the hands of the many and put it again into the hands of a few experts, in this case, judges and lawyers. But I still, I mean, I, I would still, I don't know, I, I, I still want to pay. <laughs> I still want to pay. What I, yeah, so I wouldn't mind losing the court case. That's maybe, 
and paying anyway. So it's just I want to see how, how that goes. So, Balder, you and Heda had both cast your votes. But before we left Iceland, we had one more score to settle with the guy who put Iceland in the situation of having to vote on this, your president. Name, please. Olavur Ragnar Grímsson. Thank you. <laughs> we wanted to surprise Heda, so we just said, we're going to come pick you up. Yeah, okay. Wear something nice. So, where are we going? <laughs> we don't answer. We just keep driving until she sort of figures it out. So, we're going to meet the president, or...? <laughs> I know where he lives. (laughs) Before we meet the president, though, we have to get from the car to his house. And it is insanely windy out, even for an island that is in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) And it was hailing. Then we got inside. Thank God we got inside. And the house is really nice. Is that a a polar bear rug up there? uh, Gift from... So we spent a half hour with the president. Heda tells him after thinking about it, she's actually happy that he vetoed the agreement, and she's happy she got to vote on it. Which, after all the criticism, the president is very happy to hear. You have now experienced how you come to a conclusion in a complicated issue. So I think, and I definitely hope, that in the future you will never let anybody tell you that this issue or that issue is so complicated that uh, you should simply trust them uh, to to take a decision. Because democracy, fortunately, is a system where the farmer and the fisherman has the same right as the president. I mean, part of the idea behind a representative democracy is that the people don't have to weigh every issue. They don't have to... Uh, understand the details of international European law. They don't have to, uh, you know, understand the details of uh, sovereign bond ratings and the rating agencies and the, you know, the psychology of the global financial debt markets, um, you know, and, and the international court system. And people I've talked to have questioned whether that's really a wise use of so many hours of people's time in this country. Well, first of all, on most issues, we let those who serve in Parliament or the Cabinet or the City Council sort of take the decision. You say, and you listed all these complicated things and so on that uh, the normal person can't deal with. But are you sure that the members of Parliament can do that as well? The most important lesson I have learned throughout my public life is that people are not stupid. And uh, you can rely on their wisdom in the long run, more than on the so-called experts. Early polls had indicated that the yes votes were going to win, but in the final days, things swung the other way, and Balder, your yes people lost. 60% of people like Hida voted no. And so far, on the streets in Iceland, everything feels sort of the same. Yeah, day-to-day hasn't changed very much, but I still am a little bit afraid of what we've done. I know that my government is out there talking to people around the world saying don't worry, don't read this the wrong way, we're not that beats well, we'll have to see how it goes before we go I want to say thank you to everybody who participated in a poll that I posted on the blog I asked how should I vote and I didn't listen to you but the people of Iceland did And thanks also to Baldur's mom for letting me stay with them and for making that really nice bread. 
As always, we'd love to hear what you think of today's show. You can send us email, planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Baldur Hjensson. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. Yeah,